Hey everyone, we're live now on the Conversations That Matter podcast for a, I almost forgot what day of the week it was, <laughs> for a Wednesday evening. Um, and man, time is just going by so fast and so many news items. And uh, we're going to talk about a, a number of things in the news uh, today. We have um, a, a tweet from Ted Cruz, and, and I don't know if we're going to get to all of this. Uh, we have uh, Mark Tooley wrote an article Um Jeremy Boring from Daily Wire, and then also Glenn Beck on his podcast today. All of them have said things in the last few days that I see com- a common thread in. And it seems to be this, let's nuance uh, on the the left, or, or let, let's not condemn them in, in the same terms, perhaps. Um, but let's really gatekeep the right. Uh, th- those who are very committed Christians now, I think, are in this camp being on the right because of their stance on sexual ethics. And what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as, as believers in Jesus Christ? I mean, how do we form uh, political alliances? How do we, uh, not just politically, but socially navigate the, the workplace, the world, in light of how things are changing? And, and even the political right now is going towards the left uh, at a very fast speed. So to help me uh, discuss this particular topic and figure out what's going on, uh, we have Ray Fava from the Evangelical Dark Web. You can go to evangelicaldarkweb.com to uh, read his articles, dart.org, see, I already messed it up, .org, <laughs> to read um, his articles and uh, see his videos on uh, various topics. Ray, you are very, um, I, gotta, I have to say, I, I think I said this before we even started recording, uh, that you're very well informed as far as keeping up with things, even more so, I think, than I am. Um, and then uh, we also have uh, Tymon Klein, who is an associate editor with American Reformer. And I, I appreciate both of you guys joining me. I know this is your first time for both of you. So uh, I think it'll be fun. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. So, um, man, uh, before we get into the topics and stuff, I mean, how, I just ran through who we're going to be talking about. Did you think, I don't know, let's say five years ago, we would be having the conversation that we're having now? Did you predict this or is this uh, something that's unexpected? Uh, looking at the rundown, I think Ted Cruz was damaged goods after Trump beat him and he's not the same guy anymore. I think he, you know, went full boomer con after losing. Cause you know, that's who he lost to. So that's who he's trying to cater to. And I think his messaging has changed because it's not the same Cruz that you saw in like 2013 through 2016. And then Glenn Beck, I mean, he did support lockdowns and stuff after writing a book called the Overton window, which was a thriller about the government using a created emergency to take away freedom. So he wrote that fiction book and then, you know, lived in real life and, you know, didn't learn. So you're saying you just see some hypocrisy with some of these guys. So you're not as surprised then it sounds like. No. Yeah, yeah. What about you, uh, Timon? See, Ray Ray's much more insightful and prescient than I am because, yeah, I'm I'm surprised. I don't <laughs> I know how too. I'm still surprised by stuff at this point, but yeah, I, I mean, the the group we're talking about with the subject matter, yeah, it's it's surprising to me. It, it always takes me by surprise. It, it's weird, and I it shouldn't. Even things that I predicted sometimes, I'll uh, I'll predict it, and then it'll happen, and I'll be like, I can't believe that happened. So I feel that way right now about this particular uh, topic. And um, we're, we're entering right now. I mean, today's, I think, the last day of May, right? So tomorrow starts mm-hmm. June. And uh, my phone has informed me that we have a federal holiday starting tomorrow, Pride Month, right? And I think we're going to see more examples of this kind of stuff. It, it is going to be interesting to see how this goes down because um, 
the sides are are set and conflicts have already erupted uh, over target the dodgers um just the the leading up to this the grooming issue and uh drag time queen story hour all of that and um and so I, I, I would think that this is the time that political conservatives and Christians among them would be hanging tough, right? Like mm-hmm. this is kind of like pretty basic fundamental stuff, but there seems to be some waffling. And so I, I think the best place to start would be with Ted Cruz and um, a tweet that he put out. And I'll get your reactions to this. Uh, he, he talks about, uh, he actually, first of all, retweets the New York Times, which, you know, okay, whatever. Um, but the New York <laughs> Times reporting, so through their, their reporting, they said that the president of Uganda signed a punitive anti-gay bill on Monday that includes the death penalty enshrining into law and intensifying crackdown against LGBTQ people in the East African nation. It is one of the world's most restrictive anti-gay measures. And, and, and so that's the New York Times. And then Ted Cruz responds to this and says, this Uganda law is horrible and wrong. Any law criminalizing homosexuality or imposing the death penalty for aggravated homosexuality is grotesque and an abomination. All civilized nations should join together in condemning this human rights abuse. And then he hashtagged LGBTQ. Have any of you, either of you looked into this law and what it actually says? Yes, I covered this back in, I believe it was March. So I'm actually surprised at the story, March or April, whenever I was last uh, given a community guideline strike on YouTube. Um, So close to three months ago. And what I'm surprised about is this law is just now being signed. Like it passed. Like that's what the story was a couple of months ago. And so we've kind of been memeing Uganda forever on the right for a little while. And um, this, I, I knew that aggravated homosexuality meant like, you know, pedophilia and uh, disabled people, but apparently it is a little bit more expansive than that. But um so I'm familiar with the law. And then this is on top of the fact that homosexuality is already criminalized in the nation of Uganda. Yeah, that's what I thought. I didn't know what it was changing because so I, it what I added the aggravated homosexuality charge. OK, so, so there's an additional charge for certain and more, attempted. Yeah, so more more intense uh, varieties uh, of this uh, behavior. Um, okay, so, so regardless, it, it, what Ted Cruz says, I mean, he, he doesn't say he's not just talking about death penalty stuff here. He actually says any law criminalizing homosexuality, any law that criminalizes homosexuality is grotesque and an abomination. And the first thought that I had is, okay, what about the founding fathers? What about you know laws up until even the 1970s that criminalized this kind of behavior in the uh, United States? And just um, to say something like Ted Cruz was solicitor general for Texas. I don't know. I'm not, I'm a little fuzzy on the dates as to when he was solicitor general, but Lawrence V Texas was 2004. Right. So yeah, he was solicitor general during the time, but the, the, you know, that one, because they weren't bringing this, the suit, the attorney general um, is the office that the representation fell to. And then it, it, the, the guy, they, I don't know how it came to him. I forget his, his last name's like Rosenthal was a, who was, it was like a random kind of district attorney, if I'm not mistaken, is the one that actually argued the case. So Ted Cruz set that one out, but it was during his, his tenure at the time. And if you remember too, I mean, I think if I'm not mistaken, Ted Cruz was at, at least feigned some resistance to Obergefell as well at the time, oh, yes. which no, is I like remember not that. that long ago. 
Um, we could call it disingenuous now, but at the time I took it at face value. Um, so there's clearly been uh, motion on his side. Um, but yeah, he, he obviously has been in, in government service since Lawrence, which is the case that uh, would have you know struck down the last hand full of states that had these kind of uh, felony sodomy laws, right? Texas one, Florida one, handful of others. And that, but that movement, even up to that point, it only begun in 1962 and beginning with Illinois, I think was the first state. And you kind of have this predictable, you know, track around the country of, of them following suit all the way up through, um, you know, till 2003, as you said. So um, this is all very recent history. Most of the people, uh, the geriatrics, you know, running our country were alive and well when there were sodomy laws um, in America. So this is not ancient history, actually. Um, now, certainly, you know, we weren't as restrictive um, in terms of the sentencing as Uganda, but felonies and, you know, any any crime that's up, uh, more than a year of imprisonment. Right. So, I mean, it's still a significant um, uh, charge. And, you know, there's it's an open question to the extent the extent to which this was like enforced. But as we know, too, you know, there's a there's a pedagogical effect uh, to these laws and uh, they they form uh, stigma and social norms and these other powerful effects. Um, and, you know, that's that's a lot of what Uganda is kind of doing as well to the world. I mean, they can't honestly think they're going to be able to catch everybody all the time. But it's a signal. And Ted Cruz is signaling right back the other way, because obviously this tweet has no legal force whatsoever. Right. So he's yeah. making a signal. This is Uganda, right? This isn't the yeah. United States. And, and to be so concerned about it is what interests me. The Ugandans seem to understand that there's an enormous amount of pressure upon them. I saw a video today. I don't know if it was taken today or yesterday, but it was a, a protest against Joe Biden and uh, specifically because of pressure to, um, I guess, uh, I, I don't know the, the full array of things that the Biden administration is pushing on them, but related to it would be uh, knocking down this law. And, and they want to keep this law. And they, they see that as part of their even national identity. They, they think it's a threat, a direct threat to their nation. Uh, to um, And because they see what's happening with us. They see what's happening in the West. You know, and they, don't, they don't want any part of it. And I, I just think a sane person who stood back and just watched the last decade would say, oh, yeah, you go down this path of normalizing homosexuality, then you're going to get drag queen story hour. You're going to get grooming. You're going to get all the things that we're seeing now. Because uh, you can't prevent it, because it it operates on the same logic. So, what do you what do you do with someone like Ted Cruz? I mean, if you live in Texas, I, I, do you primary him? I mean, like I'm just I'm kind of beside myself a little with some of these guys we're, we're talking about today, Ted Cruz included, because I supported him in 2016. I mean, there's no hope to primary Ted Cruz in Texas, just like there was no hope so, yeah. to uh, primary Greg Abbott. Like no one showed up for that race. So I think that's a that's dead on arrival as an option. Yeah. And I think the, you know, another thing we could say about the Ugandans, um, you know, I don't have any finger on the pulse of like their national politics, political trends. You know, this is a this is a British colony. Right. And it's my understanding that the British colonies would have had these types of laws in the books since, you know, the, the, the colonial period. So it's um, I haven't I haven't followed up on this, but it's likely that they've had something like this in place for the most of their you know history of recent memory. Um, so you're also sort of asserting yourself against Western pressure. Because I think I think the Biden administration has been threatening sanctions, right? So they're treating this just like it's Russia or something. Um, yeah. If you if you if you actually buy that Russia is like a major geopolitical threat, but that's a different uh, discussion. So the you know <laughs> right. they're doing they're treating it like this seriously, and so this is an assertion in many ways. You know, even beyond the morality of the issue, don't know what the polling's like in the country. 
um, an assertion of sort of independence, you know, from um, what, what do you want to call it, the GAE or something like that. And of course, we run around saying we're liberating the world all the time and giving them like gender studies in Pakistan and stuff. Um, but when a country actually ex exerts its own sovereignty in a way that's uh, non-conforming to current, you know, very up-to-date Western norms, you, you see like the reaction. It's the most scandalizing thing ever, even for a, a senator from Texas who calls himself a constitutionalist and runs around quoting, you know, the Bible, Second Chronicles and stuff. So it's just a bizarre, uh, it's a bizarre flip. It's, a, it's the same kind of dynamic of the Anglican African bishops, you know, showing Canterbury up at this point, right? being more, you know, with more biblical fidelity. Yeah, in the Methodist, and yeah, I know it's an odd thing. Um, one of the questions that I immediately came to my mind when I saw this is, how does this benefit Ted Cruz? Like, because obviously he doesn't have a lot of influence in Uganda. So he's clearly retweeting the New York Times, and he's not screenshotting it, he's retweeting it. And he's um, trying to signal to everyone online that he stands opposed to this, and that those who would want criminalization are therefore they're deplorables or, or unacceptable they're disgusting they're right and, and this is the position that most christians throughout the entire history of you know the last two thousand years would have held to that position so it, it's condemning just about everyone i don't know how in the world you, the bible obviously biblical characters can't escape this either many of them so um who is he playing to who is he trying to um appease or uh, ingratiate himself do you think I mean, I think he's trying to appease the world. And, you know, this is a, th you know, just to give a throwback, you know, Richard Land in 2014 attacked Uganda for their law because they passed some sort of law back then that expanded upon. And this law is now expanding upon that. For, law. for people who don't know, Richard Land, uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Council, yeah, Baptist Convention, so, Russell Moore, you know, forerunner. Yes. Yeah, so he was pretty bad and he was also world economic forum in 2006 or something like that but richard land condemned uh uganda for their law so this is just a long-standing tradition in uh you know big eva type circles that they condemn this law and support this kind of liberalism and i think ted cruz is you know again he's someone who's you know compromised he's not what he used to be he's not uh he he's been changed and compromised is just the best way to put it. Well, so you, he, he wants of, to get on Fox News. What do you think of uh, this? Uh, House of Osborne says he's playing to those that he actually represents. So that's an interesting thought that, that that actually things have gone so far left that these are his constituents that will get, get him approval on the right in Texas, which I, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that. But maybe things are just changing faster than I even am keeping up with. No, I think he wants to get on Fox News and he wants <laughs> okay. his verdict podcast to trend upwards. Yeah, you could make that. I mean, I hadn't thought about that, but you could make the argument that like there there does seem to be a trend on uh, let's not call it the right. Let's just say, you know, Republicans um, and, and maybe uh, small C conservatives, classical liberals, however they brand themselves um, to, you know, to kind of push that we're, we're like past this. Right. This isn't a debate worth having anymore. In fact, you need to support it and just get over Obergefell and all these things. And like, really the T is the problem, right? Like the LGB and well, I, I don't know what we do with the Q, but the, uh, the, the rest of it the, is, is kind of a foregone conclusion now. And it's, it's really behind the times or anachronistic to challenge that still. So maybe, you know, maybe that comment is right to some extent of where Ted Cruz is gauging, you know, I guess we're assuming he doesn't actually believe this, it's, that it's just politicking. Maybe he really does. 
but you know, strategically, maybe he is kind of sensing where where a lot of the uh, even the Republicans are going, even some people on the right are going, and so now this is a safe thing to signal, and you'll gain possibly a certain uh, you know gay friendly Christian or gay friendly Republican constituency that previously wasn't up for grabs without losing too many um, of those that used to adamantly oppose it. Yeah. So someone just pointed out in the chat that Trump also has this position. And and, and, I mean, this was a Trump foreign policy thing. And and you also have, I mean, to my knowledge, DeSantis is also fairly in lockstep with this. Um, He's done several things against woke curriculum and and businesses in Florida. But um, but but there seems to be a shift uh, with even some of the most conservative and and that's that's what I want to focus on and, and well track and then react to and figure out like okay what do we do as committed Christians who believe what people who are Christians have believed for thousands of years what do we do with this because all of a sudden overnight those who even politically represented us no longer do not in the same ways at least maybe on some things but that's quickly changing and we're becoming ostracized because this issue is becoming the fundamental dividing line more it's it's not that we won't work with people who hold that the position of ted cruz it's that they won't work with us they cast us aside and that's i think what we're seeing um in real time so let me um show you another tweet and get your reaction to this one jeremy boring from the daily wire uh put out this well it's a it, it, it's a piece from this is weird because it's not from the new york times like uh, ted cruz it's from the daily wire itself a political conservative news outlet but the piece is on on the chosen the television show and uh, how they defended a pride flag that was spotted on their set and it, it's just a matter of fact article uh, I, I didn't even un- know the, the author's bias in reading this particular article but jeremy boring um tweeted out with the piece this is a disgusting piece same word ted cruz used disgusting and I'm sorry we ran it. And then, of course, the Daily Wire uh, deleted their tweet of this. I, I don't even know if this is still. Let's see if this is still even on the. It is. It is still on the website, but the tweet that the Daily Wire put out is gone. Um, someone pointed out to me that actually, <laughs> Jeremy Boring has a history of this. In 2021, um, he congratulated a uh, same-sex marriage, a, a couple that was uh, participating in a same-sex marriage, and said, "May your lives be happy and edifying," which is kind of odd it's like the the most it's an unedifying action and then he's saying may your lives be edifying so so this is jeremy boring and this is uh, i mean he is i believe he's the ceo of daily wire is that uh correct yeah i think that's right yeah yeah that's what i thought he's the top top dog there doesn't he call himself god king Daily Wire. I think he jokes about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's like his, you know, kind of troll. Uh, on, just to uh, answer the comment, yeah. yes, that's Spencer Clavin. Uh, Andrew, Andrew Clavin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just to right. answer that. So and you saw the same. The same. I mean, I don't know if Jeremy Boring did this specifically, but you saw the same thing. So that's like the Daily Wire crowd, and you saw the same thing with like the Blaze crowd when um, Dave Rubin and oh, yeah. you know his partner um you know adopted a kid and like all of conservatism inc on the media side of like this more libertarian leaning kind of kind of wing of it um we're all congratulating him and it's very interesting like um so this just goes to the shift the shift point but after after roasting pete Buttigieg for the same exact thing right right, right, right. well we're gonna have to navigate this personally just because 
that's where the rubber meets the road is in those personal relationships. Like you can be against something in the abstract, but then what, it, when it, what about when it's your son or your friend? Well, and, and, and you and, see this on the right. Like, yeah, exactly. Transgenderism is a lie. You know, a man can't become a woman until it's Blair White. Then I'm going to use she, her pronouns. Yeah, or who's the contributor now? Is it uh, on Fox News? Uh, it, Bruce Jenner. Oh, Jenner. Bruce Jenner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, exactly. Like, Hannity likes Bruce Jenner, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just the weirdest thing to me. Like, I, I feel like I'm in clown world, and someone should pinch me when I see these things. But, um, but it's the direction everything's going, and it's uh, there's a pivot. There, there's like they, they can't like go there like jump full fledged, you know, and, and maybe they don't even want to because uh, they're still condemning the the uber left they can't just jump into drag queen story hour but they're taking these incremental steps that end up ostracizing and and preventing any kind of resistance to that and, and meaningful resistance at least so um so that was ted cruz that was uh jeremy boring and um and then we have i wanted to show this uh i have a video queued and we're gonna play this is probably the main thing we'll, we'll talk about um glenn beck this morning had a segment on his podcast and I'll just set this up. I was, I was actually, um, driving, uh, to go, to go somewhere. And I don't usually listen to Glenn Beck, but I happened to turn him on. And I, the first thing I heard was, uh, how Christian nationalists were basically like those who will let, who tried to get Adolf Hitler into power. And I, and I turned the radio up and I thought, what in the world? And then I heard James Lindsay's voice <laughs> and I was like, what in the world is going on? So let me play a portion of this segment and then um, we'll talk. About what it. exactly is a Christian nationalist? You know, Glenn, I wish I could tell you because it's a very wide and I think deliberately wide spectrum of beliefs that ranges as, from things that are as innocuous as that we need to have kind of a broad cultural revival and bring Christian values back to the public square meaning at the level of individuals coming back to God, coming back to the church, getting, you know, their Christian principles right and living them, all the way to the other side where we're talking about in, say, the book that's titled A Case for Christian Nationalism by Stephen Wolf, mm. uh, a Christian prince bestriding the land is the highest official, not just in the United States, but in the world. And so this Christian prince is, of course, a Protestant recreation of the Pope. And this... I got to stop it there. I, I got to stop it there. Uh, time. And I, I'd like you to weigh in on this first. Um, is anything, is any of what he's saying true? <laughs> um, I, it's true that Stephen Wolf did write the case for Christian nationalism. Yes. That's <laughs> yes, true. I, That's that is true. true. Um, and you hear Glenn, you know, already kind of just with an ominous sigh, just, ah, oh, yeah. Um, so this, I mean, Stephen just lives rent free in both of their heads at this point, I'm sure. Um, you know, there, there is, of course, the chapter on on the Christian prince, which is definitely meant to be provocative in its in, in its less modern phrasing. I mean, Stevens doesn't care about modern sensibilities. He's he's very clear about what he means, though. So there's really not a lot of excuse for misinterpreting this. Um, I think I don't know if we quite got to it yet because I listened to it earlier where, you know, James compares this idea to just the, um, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of a Protestant Pope. That's obviously a, a ridiculous misunderstanding. Yeah, that's what, that's what he ended. Yep. The, the idea um, is replete throughout certainly the magisterials that you would have uh, the prince, the magistrate. So we get to say our governors, we could say our president, just pick a, you know, a term, don't get hung up on the, the you know, the scary word of monarch. But the, they, they can be uh, reformist elements with, for society. And the Reformation benefited from this. You know, Frederick the Wise, what, what have you. Um, 
so they're, they're very realistic about this. But of course, the ref, this is all throughout the re reformers. I mean, you can certainly find it in Zwingli. You can find it in Vermeule. You can find it in Musculus, just all over the place. And Stephen cites a lot of these. Um, so that this should shock any, an atheist is not strange. That, that's not strange. That it still continues to shock Protestants um, is, is beyond me. And the last thing I'll just say is, you know, that James is already setting up his answer in the, in the sort of back and forth with Glenn in a disingenuous way where they continue to rely upon, um, you know, the sociologist definition from Perry and Whitehead or whomever else um, that of course has, you know, once the, the category to be as broad as possible. So you have something to write about, um, but it really is, is a lot more heat than light. And so they name check Stephen's book because it's like, it's scary, but they're certainly not engaging Stephen's definition. And they're not engaging other definitions that have been given by people we know that are an attempt to be more concrete. Um, so it's a, it's a disingenuous sort of approach to the question from the beginning, um, which is going to set up, as we'll see, you know, James's whole shtick and, and how he's going to use this discourse to uh, to kind of cast a politically serious Christians, really. Well, he even says uh, of the whole world. It's not relegated to a particular nation. Right, that this right. Christian prince is going to rule the whole world. That sounds like Jesus. That sounds like the <laughs> Prince of Peace, you know, and that, right. in an in 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 interesting way. I want to read real quick. This is from the case for Christian nationalism. I have it pulled up. This is uh, the first time the term Christian prince is used. And he's summarizing the chapter that he writes about the Christian prince. He says, chapter seven investigates the chief agent of Christian nationalism, the Christian magistrate. I chose to use Christian prince because prince con con um, connotates a man, not a bureaucrat or a policy wonk. Uh, our time calls for a man who can wield formal civil power to great effect and shape the public imagination by means of charisma, gravitas, and personality. The civil power of the prince comes immediately from God as the root of civil power, but the people, by their consent, are the instrument or mode by which God confers it on him. And I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Um, he also says, he talks about the prince's relationship to the visible, the visible church and uh, including exercising the keys of the kingdom. And he says that those are outward manifestations of the spiritual kingdom of God. As such, these things are outside the prince's civil jurisdiction. So everything James Lindsay just said just about wasn't true. Not at all. And, and he, he right. cited Stephen Wolf. That's not Stephen right. Wolf's book. You yeah. wonder what book he's even reading. It, that disturbs me a bit. I'll be honest. Like I, I'm okay with uh, having a, a reasonable discussion with someone about these things and whether or not this is a good tactic to use that term or that, term, you know, or, or, or it's a good strategy. Uh, prudence is always part of this, but to just blatantly misrepresent the person that you're talking about, I, I don't yeah. see any excuse for this. Um, he's, Ray. he's admitted oh, publicly. I, I know he's admitted publicly that he's, he, I mean, he, it's kind of like a badge of honor for him at this point that he's not read the book. I know that. I mean, oh, really? Okay. To say that. Really? Um, wow. Tweets it all the time. Yes, that he's not going to waste his time, all this thing. So what he has done is pulled quotes from other reviewers and, and even then not very exhaustively. Um, so it's it's underhanded in both ways. He's not making an attempt. Uh, you know, Stephen Wolf is like a punchline for him. That like, That's the whole approach. Um, so and he does this with many, many of his engagements with Christians on various points. Um, you know, it's all just kind of this. Anyway, so, you know, it, he's not a trustworthy, uh, fair interlocutor. You can't actually well, do anything. That, well, that just that's, cast doubt on his whole entire anti-woke research as well. His whole shtick was that <laughs> like, he'd post screenshots of the books on critical race theory. That's why he has 394,000 right. Twitter followers. He just posted screenshots. Like, there was yeah. nothing special there the entire time. He just posted screenshots of what they were writing. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think he he brought some analysis to some of this, but um, yeah. I mean, now trusting his research is it's just a little more difficult for me because th- this was the mo- one of the more blatant re- misrepresentations I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has gotten picked up, unfortunately, by so many others, maybe because they yeah. trust James Lindsay's uh, right. previous research. And and now you have guys. I didn't didn't one of the articles from G three even talk about this? Like there was a mixing. Yeah, of I the think keys. Virgil Walker may have may have mentioned uh, Scott not only James Annual, Lindsay, right? but maybe maybe Annual did um, on Twitter mention yeah. James Lindsay. They frequently, you know, because G three has a close relationship with him, um, so it's not surprising that they would uh, you know use some of his stuff. Well, they, I'm not they, trying to like they would probably throw shade br- at them, but they would probably br- um, bristle at that. They they've platformed him at least. That's of course. That's, sorry, they wanna, yes, yes. We need to be very particular. Those <laughs> so, are very different things. Um, yes. So, but but yeah, they 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 have an affinity for for his research from right. the, the social justice stuff. This makes sense. I'm not saying that that's stupid. Um, he did a decent job with that for them. You can question, you know, the affiliation itself, but um, so yeah, I think they've relied quite a bit on um, this and and. The reason for that, even with the G3 guys and, and many other even evangelicals, is probably because so much of this is very foreign. I mean, you read the the appropriate, the, the verbatim description of the Christian prince, at least in summary form. Um, that's very foreign to evangelicals. So to be able to get a handle on this and grapple with it uh, will take most people time if they're not familiar with the background literature that Stephen's drawing from, none of which would confuse the, the two powers, by the way, or give, cede the keys to uh, the prince. Um, so they're going to rely on cliff notes is my point. That's, that's probably inevitable for a lot of reviewers. And and it was Josh Bice's article. I think I'm thinking of, uh, where, where he expressed concern about this, the same point that Lindsay's expressing concern about here, uh, the mixture of, of the keys and, um, the sword, uh, let's keep, uh, watching this and, uh, see where it goes. Person is supposed to become the ultimate civil magistrate, um, right out of kind of old philosophy. You know, we talk old philosophy sometimes, Glenn, right out of Hegel's philosophy of right, where we're going to have this new kind of brilliant magistrate leader who's going to, you know, have the correct ideals and principles and lead the country. So it's a huge spectrum of that, anything in between. And they're playing, in a sense, both sides against the middle by putting out a wide spectrum of different views so that if one's unpalatable or one's too soft, they can point to the others and bounce around between the definitions and get people, and especially Christians, to dip into their values and say, well, you know what, I'm a Christian and I believe in this country, so I actually align with something in this, and I'll use the label, which, like I said, I believe is actually a gigantic federal government trap being set for Christians to step right into and lose their liberties. Every bad thing they can think of gets tied to this label Christian nationalism. And sadly, if they turn to some of these harder core guys that are both talking online and they're writing books and they're doing podcasts, they have ample evidence of people saying that they want to overturn the Constitution. They want to undo the 14th Amendment. They don't believe in the Equal Protection Clause. They want to get rid of the 19th Amendment. They want to get rid of free speech entirely and forced belief. They have ample evidence. Stephen Wolf, who wrote this book, has a podcast out there that I've seen multiple times because people send it to me frequently where he says atheism will be stamped out in America. Well, what about Judaism? What about Mormonism? What right. about Buddhism? What about, you know, that is not American. Is a- See, that's that's the. OK, let, let's uh, before we get into Glenn okay. Beck's uh, go, go for it. Right. Part is OK, yeah. <laughs> so first of all, I don't want to hear from someone who supported lockdowns and social distancing and fell for the scam about not falling for government traps like you you're you know 
super immature on this front because you don't you've demonstrated no discernment when I think that the whole lockdown situation was obvious, but you know, I'm a different breed than a lot of other people, but James Lindsay promoted the lockdown scam and he's talking about, you know, federal government traps to take away your, you know, your, your rights and all that. And then at the end, it's like, well, technically America has a long history of driving out Mormons. Um, They're in Utah for a reason, historically speaking. So. Well, let's take it on its merits. Uh, yeah. And I understand James Lindsay May, his track record on, he's a liberal. I mean, he's, he, that's, uh, that, that's his, his life up until very recently. Now right. He, and that tells you something about where conservative uh, ism is going uh, as far as uh, uh, on the right in America today. But um, what he's claiming there is, I, I see two things mainly. The first is a fear of the media. There's a deathly afraid of the media and what the media is going to do with people like Stephen Wolf. And that seems to be the only name that he mentions is Stephen Wolf. He mentions him twice. He doesn't mention uh, Time and Klein, right? He doesn't mention, uh, you know, Joel Webin. He doesn't mention, I'm trying to think of the other prominent, Marjorie Taylor Greene. He mentioned Stephen Wolf twice, uh, a book that uh, you said Time and he hasn't read. And He's afraid the media is going to take things in that book and then things on on podcasts, he says, like stamping out uh, uh, atheism. And I don't even know the context of that. I, I've listened to Stephen's podcast. I don't know where, what he's talking about with that. But um, th- th- so that's the first thing, the fear of the media. And then the second thing, of course, is that this is going to lead to tyranny, uh, that they're going to oppress everyone who's not a Christian. Um, to time and what do you say to those two objections or, or especially the, the second one? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, if he's a, I, I assume, does he call himself a classical liberal or just liberal? I don't, I don't know. But he could go read some John Locke if he wanted to like familiarize himself with other so-called liberals who held the opinions he's frothing at, um, such as stamping out atheism or something like that. So the, the point is, this is not, you know, this is not that, and then Glenn's getting ready to call it American and I'm sure un-American. Yeah, we're, we're going to play that. That's a rich clip. Man. You know, Locke gets, I'm sure he thinks Locke is like the basically the founding uh, of our country. But anyway, the point is like, these are, again, within the Christian tradition up, up through very recently, these are, these are not actually that outlandish opinions at all that he's pulling. Um, and he's afraid of them. I mean, he's, he's an atheist and it, it's bizarre to him from his, his bubble. But what I would just say about the theory that like, you know, Ray was already getting into of this is going to be used in this sort of convenient fashion for the establishment to, um, you know, crack down on on maybe regular Christians. It's we're falling into a trap. It's like an op. I mean, I guess that's a a, a theory you could have, but I've yet to. See, I mean, he's been talking about this for weeks, if not months. I've yet to see him demonstrate it, other than pure speculation about what may or may not be happening, or could or could not be used. And you know, it's just it's a it's weak sauce in that sense. Like, if you really have this great theory about like this is what's actually happening, then. Uh, you know, show the receipts. Um, and if you're really freaked out by um, some of these ideas and are going to call insinuate that they are foreign to, you know, what, what makes America great and uh, all these things we enjoy, then also show the receipts on, on that. And that those just aren't at his uh, disposal because the, the historical record would demonstrate the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. About Go the whole it. trap thing, you know, one of the things that would actually help you in your defense is having a long established uh, track record, you know, say large online footprint of demonstrating what your beliefs are that what 
that way it would be used as a defense uh, in court if the government ever does try to spring said trap on you. You know, you show that you actually support the Constitution more than, you know, in its original form, more than, you know, the, the other side does. Or you support that, you know, the idea that, hey, we're not actually trying to overthrow the government, you know, violently through force or anything like that. You know, if you have a longer, uh, larger history, uh, online footprint that shows a demonstrable track record, more context to what your views are. You know, that's actually the, you know, you're actually setting yourself up to have more of a legal defense uh, if they do. You're just give, giving some prudent advice for people who yeah. Uh, yeah. are afraid well, of this kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I actually find it curious. I mean, this is the kind of thing he gets away with as well with, um, you know, at least the forums he's he's entertained in. You know, just say something like they're against the Constitution. Like I'm, that just requires a lot more texture to have an intellectual discussion that that could actually be yeah, like. What does that, that mean? There's of course going that. to be, but it's very rhetorically effective, right? Yes, they're against the Constitution, and you know, Glenn again, I think sighs and kind of moans and, and disbelief, and it's like, well, there's certainly people on the new right generally, or the the you know, that are that probably don't adopt the label Christian nationalism that are questioning um, post-war precedent. Um, that has interpreted the Constitution in a particular way. That that's definitely true. But does it mean you're against the Constitution to go back to where we started if you oppose, you know, Obergefell? Is that I mean, now that that's constitutional, and that that is the rhetorical. If you want to talk about rhetorical traps that are set, is you it's a it's a way for people like Lindsay and others to again, make you seem like an insurrectionist and anti-constitutionalist and anti-American because you start talking and they're like, whoa, whoa, you're, you know, you're against the constitution. You're against the whole 14th amendment just because you don't like some of the, you know, the application of the way due process has been interpreted. Right. You know, you could say there's plenty of mainstream legal incorporation that are like, yes, they're against, they're against, I mean, Justice Thomas is against certain incorporation doctrine. Um, Justice Scalia was against the, the, substantive due process generally as a category thought it was ridiculous so it's like you know this you can you can do all of that but james sets it up again i think in a very underhanded way um as a scare tactic and you know it's kind of shame on glenn beck for entertaining it in this way and not pushing back in in at least a way that would be constructive for for the conversation the the thing too i i have trouble um wrapping my head around this a little bit. I think what you said about it being rhetorically effective is probably spot on because the founders set up an amendment mechanism to change the constitution. uh, If there was a a situation that arose that needed that. Uh, And um, it's like, it's like there's this ingrained opinion today on the right that uh, we must have 50 States. It's gotta be 50. And it can't change. You can't. Secession is not an option. We can't uh, adopting more states. Isn't we, we have to stay with 50. It's got to look this way. We can't change the Constitution. The Constitution must stay the way that it is. And um, part of me, like, I, I guess maybe I can understand from the angle of like any changes are going to be <laughs> the left is the one making the changes. So we don't want to change things. But um, but but there should be room for wisdom here. And uh new situations that require a new application of the same timeless principles or, um, or, or just, you know, maybe, maybe the situations change so much that we can't handle self-government anymore. 
and uh, different states are going to look different. And, and, and I know that we'll probably get to the Protestant Franco discussion here uh, at the end because I have something queued up for that. But, um, but, but there's people looking at these unconventional uh, since World War II approaches now because they see what we've been doing isn't working. Uh, and, and that's exactly what we see Glenn Beck and James Lindsay doing right now. It's just it, it, it's uh, what they're trying to do, it seems like, is to neutralize the opposition to the left because they're going to use it against us. And and if we've learned anything of the last few years, shouldn't it be that we should focus our energy on replacing and and not trusting the media at all that, that we can't. But but instead, we legitimize the media every time we do something like this and say, well, we, we can't we have to alter our behavior because of what the media will do. And, and I understand there's some wisdom in, in some of that. But but we have to create a strategy for um making sure that our people are immunized against, I shouldn't have used that term, huh? <laughs> immunized, <laughs> but they're, they're shielded against this idea of, of needing to let the media, um, it, it, what you fear controls you and letting the media control you like that is, I guess, I think one of the concerns that I have. So. Um, yeah. I mean, rated, one, one oh, brief point yeah. to just, you know, Go following up on what you were saying, John, which I think is, is right. You know, um, Again, just with with the kind of ridiculous thing that a lot of people do, it's not just James Lindsay, but citing, um, you know, the point I was making before is the Constitution is, you know, what era, which which one, what are we talking about? Right. The other weird thing about citing the Constitution is the Constitution is a is a structural document, right? So it's about it's about governing a particular people. It's very boring, a lot of it, right? Very yeah. procedural in this way, and this would just be a conventional idea of like classical political theory that our founders would have understood well, which is that, um, you know, this structure, this mechanism of adjudication and of, of um, you know, wielding power for the for the good and, and um, you know, bifurcating a sort of parallel sovereignty, all these things. This is to fit a particular people that is conducive to their tastes, their history, their tradition, these things um, that you see this throughout um, some in the Federalist Papers and then a lot of other speeches that apologists for James Wilson did a lot of this. Um, are saying, hey, this this fits us. John Jay does this famously in Federals too, right? Like this is for us. This is where we can be a nation under this this uh, sort of remit of a, a federal government. So the point is, it, this can go two ways. If the people no longer are fitted well to operating orderly and morally under a particular structure, the health and well-being of the nation, of the people, is always paramount. Right. And to the extent that that this structure, you know, I, I love it. I think it's brilliant. I'm not saying let's throw it out wantonly. I'm just saying this general point of no, no, the constitution, like that you're not actually talking about anything very substantive at that point. You're not in terms of moral political philosophy, which is they're going at the, you know, this kind of very deep level. So to what you were saying, it's like, things may not always look the same. In fact, like Hamilton thought it might last 50 years. Like he was like very, you know, sort of uh, Jefferson's like, we should just remake it every, you know, like two weeks or something crazy, whatever his proposal <laughs> was. So you're like, yeah, they they're, they were realistic about this too. Yeah. I'm not saying we shouldn't venerate the, the structure. It's done a, a fairly good job for a long time. We're, we have a lot of, we've had a lot of peace and order and that's like bare minimum. Um, but it does, the only point is, it doesn't mean you also can't get creative and really a lot of the creative things you're even seeing proposals on the right are really just old ideas that were actually implemented and used have now fallen out of fashion, especially at the state level. 
Yeah, very good point. So one thing I wanted to comment on is though I, I do feel like on the right, we are struggling with the issue of how much do we venerate the U.S. Constitution, even though, you know, it's almost like we're not allowed to talk that the U.S. Constitution has like glaring flaws. Like, for instance, it doesn't limit the power of the judiciary to, against the creation of case law. Like it doesn't prevent that at all. Certain state constitutions do actually prevent case law from being a thing. But, you know, the U.S. Constitution does not. And then we have the 16th Amendment, which I don't I think is pretty indefensible to argue that income tax is a is an improvement on the U.S. Constitution. The 17th Amendment also structurally made it very structurally moved this country to the left, you know, politically and electorally by a lot. And then obviously the 19th Amendment, you know, basically gave uh, socialism and liberalism the ability to get elected into major office in the United States. So there's very glaring flaws that have undermined the republic that this country once was. Yeah, and those are embedded in the Constitution. We would have to use a convention of states most likely to get rid of those. And so many people who claim to be constitutionalist vehemently oppose convention of states. Right. Because right. they think just follow the Constitution. Yeah, I, I need to say uh, briefly for those who are in the chat, uh, Barbara, I see that you're in the in, not in the chat, sorry, in the live stream, uh, the, the patrons. Um, uh, turn on your your microphone. And when you do that, uh, I'll come to you. And if you have a question, we'll see if we can answer it. Uh, let's keep playing this and see where this goes, because this is the gold part in my mind. This is just I. Uh, well, you'll see. Deal. Christian nationalism. If if that describes him, then he's neither Christian nor American, because both of those go against Christianity and the American justice for all freedom for all all men are created equal you can follow the con your the dictate of your conscience though those things they're in direct opposition to what what most people who would be labeled a christian nationalist would uh, agree with i don't agree with anything that he just said Right. And like I said, this is probably a minority of the people that are part of the movement, but the, the left doesn't need most people to believe the crazy stuff. They need one person. That's it, which is they have plenty now. And it's not even, by the way, that this isn't American. If I might be so bold, it's not even Christian. I mean, the yeah, idea, right. if I understand Christianity correctly, is that Jesus came, Jesus offered his message, and Jesus is it's about you come to me if you choose on your own Correct. volition. This isn't about go out and force people to convert or stamp out this or that belief or whatever else. And what's happening is that people are justifiably and rightly frustrated. They are demoralized. They're afraid for their country, and they're starting to get desperate. They're saying it's too late. The Constitution's already dead. The law is already captured. We don't have any other options. And I don't, yeah, I'm not accusing <laughs> you. You're not a Christian because everything but God, everything but God, have faith. Raising someone from the dead, a little diffi more difficult than bringing America back to uh, its sane place, not even its world standing, just to where sanity and reason are once again followed. That's not a big magic trick for God to do. Raising dead, that's kind of a big thing. What do you say we stop saying we're out of time, there's no hope, 
and start aligning yourself with the actual principles of Christ and Christianity. Okay. Um, wow. <laughs> you're not a Christian and you're not. So you have a Mormon and an atheist saying that the Presbyterian who wrote this book, Stephen Wolf, is not a Christian. Uh, and not, not only that, he's not an American. And, and that, uh, that, that just, it, I find it so humorous, but it's sad because people are taking this seriously. So what is an American then? You can be born here, speak the language. You, your ancestors may be fought in all the wars, but you're still not an American because what? You don't you, you don't supposedly believe in freedom of conscience. And, and they're even straw manning that. Like I don't. There's no section in the book where Stephen talks about forced conversions. So so what are we? What do you make of this? What what's uh? First of all, what's going on here with this definition of Christianity in America? <laughs> we, we we got those bent out Man. of whack. And then the second thing is, you know what what. Because people have legitimately asked this. What about freedom of conscience? Well, if, I, if I'm if i just going to throw the landmine uh, that, you know, I'll throw the grenade on your live stream. But oh, no. uh, no, James really. Lindsay got it completely backwards. It's not we go to Jesus. Jesus came to us. You know, this is about, you know, let's just talk about God's sovereignty for a minute here. Because God came to us. This was God's plan all the way from the beginning that Jesus would come to us and rescue us and that we don't choose him. Right. But, but I think so, his, what, what so he's trying he, to say He gets say that is, wrong, but he has a low view of God's sovereignty being an atheist. Sure. Sure. But I, 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 I think gotta, what he's getting at though, is that, that the mechanism there. God uses isn't forced uh, that, that yeah. it has to be through right. a, yeah. a uh, whether God, you know, is the, I don't want to get into the Calvinist Arminian thing right now. Cause that's not, it's a little beside the point, but uh, I was just throwing that grenade. Yeah. Thanks for, Thanks for that. But um, but the the idea that uh, it's OK for the government to favor certain religions or right. uh, to, to um, put an end to stamp out atheism. I don't know where that was said, but apparently someone said that and it bothered uh, Lindsay. Um, what, what about that? Is that un-American? Yeah, see, I think this is yet again, just it's rhetorically effective, but it but it is dishonest or at least not not trying very hard to understand um, you know, the admittedly somewhat complex arguments for many, uh, cert so again, certainly an atheist, um, you know, the point we, we could make about like our, our own salvation is, again, um, we'll sidestep what John is wanting us to sidestep. We would agree that both Calvinists Calvinist and Arminians would both agree that the man's will is not violated by God's sovereignty. OK, now then you get into the weeds of what that means and what it looks like. But right. we, we're so it's even in that sense. Um, you know, and Machen has like a beautiful passage on this of like the, you know, the will is formed. So there's, this is not um, irrelevant to what we're even talking about with like social conditions vis-a-vis -vis a promotion of what we, you know, what we had in America would just be a very, very broad Protestantism with a lot of toleration. Okay. Right. But there's a clear moral center that's being promoted. Um, and then you have more specificity in, in certain states. Um so the, the, the point, you know, James is making is that any time a law acts upon you to nudge you in a certain direction, this is per se a violation of the will, that it's coercion. On, and in a certain sense, it is. All laws are. Um, but that it's forced. There's a forced, you know, conversion of sorts here. And I would again say all laws do do that. But we also do want you to not steal because you think it's wrong, not because you're just being coerced. But even at that point, it's um, this is something I always pull out from Richard Baxter, where he's like, you know, much stronger than Stephen, even on this being in the 17th century, where he's like, no one is talking about violating your conscience. In fact, that, that's just metaphysically impossible. 
I can't actually do that. What I can do, though, is dictate your actions. And I can punish things that are sinful and bad and morally reprobate and all these things. And that's what a good ruler does. Um, you know, prudence will dictate the extent to which you should do that in certain areas based on your, your populace. But um, and then Baxter goes on to say, and we can have things that are conducive to or very encouraging of conversion. You can have public preaching. You can support the church through tax monies like Massachusetts did. You can do all these things to promote a certain kind of morality that signals to everybody the baseline for conformity. You know, I don't know, like doing a, a parade before a baseball game at opening day, like in LA or something like that, maybe to signal where, um, you know, the moral baseline is that you should, you should fall in line with. Um, much more effective than laws actually enforcing conversions many times. Um, so, you know, th this is just something that's done that's like endemic to governance and endemic to societies and cultures. Um, and none of it is actually violating the conscience or forcing conversions at the tip of a spear or something. No one's talking about that. Well, We're you know, the very next laws and morals. Well, were, right? The very next question is, so when are you going to burn the mosques? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, of course. I so, mean, yeah. Well, well, Maybe I, he's playing I, I Crusader hear Kings three, and you can force someone to convert. Are you a gamer, Ray? I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I play a little. Uh, CK3. <laughs> I kind of picked up on that. <laughs> right, yeah. and you can force someone to convert. Right, right. So you can do that uh, in a video game, but that's not real right. life. So right, and no, and no one I have seen, and I and I would reject anyone that's actually arguing for what we we ourselves may even still categorize as a forced conversion. Right, like you know, pointing a gun at someone's head. We right. would say, well, that's also false, and um, you know, the, what is it? What does it accomplish anyway? And and it's wrong, and these things. But um, that's very different than than having societal discrimination about what you're going to promote and not promote, um, and what you're going to privilege and not privilege. The, this is just very natural. We do it all the time, um, and that's what the, again the rhetorical trick is for James to make that tantamount to forced conversions. When no, I've seen no, no one. I haven't, talk about I haven't that. seen anyone say anything about that either. Um, right. I don't. I don't even know what the atheist stamping out atheism. I'm not sure the context of whatever quote he's citing uh, there, but um, it, it's. They would the, argue the, that they don't have a religion. The, right. Well, the thing the founders, so, though, um, seem to be very concerned about in general was virtue, that we would have public virtue and that this was contingent on religion. So you needed it. And to them, it was Christianity when they talked about religion. Mm -hmm. And so uh, without that, uh, there was no hope for even having the structure that we have under the Constitution. We can't maintain it because it's created for a people that, are, that have virtue. And so when you lose virtue, which is, I think, fair to say, when we have the month that's starting tomorrow starting, we, we're not there anymore. We don't have virtue. We've lost it. So what now? That's a legitimate question to ask. What now? You, you have to force if people aren't going to make good decisions on a certain level at, in a, at a certain scale, there, there has to be some someone to come in and force them to. Uh, and that's where the unfortunately that's inevitable that government is going to pick up a lot of the slack that's left behind by irresponsibility so how do we get back to morality yeah and 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 that should be the thing i mean even if you're an atheist i would think that would be the thing you should be if, if you are truly an american right if by their definition of what you know admiring the founders and their views you should be trying to figure out ways to to incentivize christianity to, to uh, because that's the glue, and without it, we we spiral out of control. And the only thing that comes in to take its place is this oppressive totalitarian government. So, so what do you do? Um, 
you should incentivize cultural Christianity at, at bare minimum. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure James has like read the treaty of Tripoli or something. And that's like what he's thinking of when he says the founders of what America is. Um, but the, the vast majority of, of the, you know, historical literature is going to, going to echo exactly what John said and sometimes in even stronger fashion um, of, of how this should be handled, especially if you do have something of a mixed regime that's, that has a, a strong Republican aspect to it, which puts a lot of onus and burden on uh, the citizenry. It's harder to be a, re, a Republican citizen than a uh, absolute monarchist citizen. Right. You have much more um, weight in playing the game. So circling back to Ted Cruz of like, why does he do this? I would say that it's it's not costing him anything. And so I'm not ta- throwing this at the feet of the church and saying, you know, it's because we failed to evangelize. I'm throwing it at the feet of, you know, Christians and their political action and being more serious about this. And so you need to make it cost just like uh, the left does, or make it very, very easy to just fall in line with what you're wanting them to say, like the left does. They do both. I, yeah. I, right? I might have to push back on something you say, because I think Ted yeah. Cruz underestimated how much it would cost him. It is costing him. He is getting dragged. Well, good. Maybe, um, maybe so. He's getting dragged I, for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, in in meme world, but in, well, right. in, in the in real world, world, is he? But it among Christians, yeah. he's lost a lot of street cred over this issue, I would say. Like Steve Jace yeah. dragged him. Um, yeah. And he used to work for him. So yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. So um, it so, is someone... costing more and we shifted the Overton window to make it cost more. But if you look yeah. at Christian nationalism as a movement, you know, I think too many pastors think that the onus was on them to be the Christian nationalists in the society. And thus they conflate church and state and all that other stuff. But really, it's more of a layman's kind of movement or, you know, not people who are pastors. Um, that are going to be applying Christianity to the public square. Right. So, um, yeah, there's it, an ecclesiocentric kind of like, right. the only thing we should have in our heads is the church and its success. Exactly. And so yeah. Christian nationalism doesn't fit that. So it must be against the church. Like, yeah. That, and that's ridiculous. That's, yeah. we can see that that's ideological. Someone in the chat put, um, it's a super chat. So I, I feel compelled to share this, but they <laughs> wanted to ask about Aaron McIntyre having him on. Apparently, I guess he works for the blaze. And he's not a fan of James Lindsay. So I, I guess a reminder that maybe there are some people at the Blaze who aren't necessarily yeah. on board with what we're listening to. Um, McIntyre's Mac- great. Yeah, yeah. Just to add more context to it, he's been dragging Lindsay for weeks now. And he yeah. he's a more intellectual type. He would actually be a good debate partner or debate match against uh, James Lindsay, I would say. Interesting. Well, we'll have to check that out. Now, I want to play. I don't know how much of this will play. Maybe we'll summarize. Uh, it's only a few more minutes. This is, um, they had a commercial break, and this is uh, coming back after the segment. And it, it, there's not a video version of this, so it's audio. Why do I think that James Lindsay is right about this? Because of this. Uh, in 1916, all of the churches, uh, all of the leaders all said, war, 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 it's going to be won quickly. Uh, and lo and behold, uh, World War I is not won quickly. It starts with uh, Germany, and they are completely demoralized. And then they are raked against the coals by the uh, Paris Treaty. They're embarrassed. They're humiliated. They're angry. 1919, you've got a pandemic. Starts to wipe everybody out. Churches, real, true Christianity collapses around this time. 
Um, and it becomes intertwined with government. It was already intertwined during the war saying, God wants this. We'll make us victorious, blah, blah, blah. So people's faith uh, kind of goes away. And there's a new republic. And in this new republic, the Weimar Republic, society begins extolling drugs, sex. The, the first transgender surgery happens there. Uh, pedophilia is starting to be um, really kind of in the mix of things. It's in schools. The first sexology university happens. Money collapse then happens. Regular people are struggling, but the 20-somethings, they do well because they don't have families. And it's a new world. And so all of the people that were saying, wait a minute, this, but these principles don't work, they're all ushered out. Lawlessness, frustration, uh, homelessness, poverty, fear. Then a guy comes along and says, you know, Christianity is under attack. Look at what's happening, all this immoral living, and I'll clean it up. And good Christians and people who normally are good people, because of the 10 years prior, completely lost now and couldn't identify what Christianity, somebody's got to do something. And they elect Hitler. Six months later, the churches, most of the altars, I have a photo of Hitler, not of Christ, the book burning starts with the LGBT stuff and then just doesn't stop. That's why I think James Lindsay is right. And it's a warning to Christians. James, do you agree with that or not? I think that's right. And I think that a lot of Christians should pay attention. Okay. Um, this is why you're right. Do you agree with wow. that? Wow. So I know. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, time and I know you have to go soon, so I'm going to let you chime in here first. Um, that that was a lot of. I, I know there's some big holes in some of that history, and, and yeah. I'll fill in the gaps that you you don't. Uh, but but what did you think of that little history lesson we just got that we're going to get Hitler if we f- pursue this path? Right. I mean, I don't. What's what's bizarre is, is it is uh, Glenn like inserting his own. You know, this this is his thought process at this point because that wasn't James's argument thus far. His argument is this is actually a trap from the left to jail, you know, to investigate churches and like jail Christians and stuff like that. Kind of, I mean, he mentioned the Christian Prince thing, but he actually thinks this makes us incredibly weak. And then Glenn has heard about the Christian Prince and is now like, actually, you know, now that I think about it, this is probably how Hitler's going to come back to power, which is just more, you know, more boomer world war two brain that can't think in any other paradigm besides like a few historical events. Um, it's, I, I'm just not sure. I mean, I, I lose patience with it at a certain point of like, how many, how many ways can you apply the literally Hitler analogy? It just, it's not, it's not a serious engagement with, with the ideas that are actually being presented by anyone serious um, that's, that's Christian and on this sort of new right that wants to have these interesting conversations. It's just very lame. Yeah. Ray. Yeah. I mean, literally Hitler and you're right. Like if you look at public schools, the only well, the only event from the 20th century taught in every public school is a Holocaust. So everything becomes a Holocaust because, you know, a Holocaust uh, parallel, because that's the only history that people are taught in public schools. So uh, you're absolutely right there. But going back to the Hitler thing, Hitler rose at, when the alternative was Bolshevikism. So that was part of the backdrop. And obviously you had Lenin, who was very pro homosexuality. And then Stalin put the kibosh on that later on. But 
you, you got to look at the context that Germany, you know, they chose, you know, Hitler as their response to Marxism, which is not a good response. And the danger I, I actually think that this situation is closer to the James Lindsay situation. Actually, I would actually say Glenn Beck is closer because I don't think it's a government trap. Like, I think that's just nonsense, but the idea is that we are facing a Weimar Republic type of situation that we have immorality rampant. We got, you know, a really bad form of government rampant and there's going to be multiple things trying to create a solution to it. For instance, I do think you're seeing the rise of like racism, particularly anti-black racism on the internet it's becoming a lot more mainstream than it used to be. But I also see that Christian nationalism is the movement that will supplant that because we're going to be more organized politically that the anti-black racists are not actually going to you know amount yeah. to anything other than dank memes on the internet well the thing is like there's so many holes in that that i would love to poke right now but the, 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 there's something that's more important than all of that and that is that um the assumption that those who were dissatisfied with the weimar republic are this are parallel to the quote-unquote christian nationalists of today or the religious right of today or conservative christians who are upset about their kids being groomed and you know trans twerking in their kids faces during pride month and displays at target to target them that's i think the big difference because um glenn's time frame is all off on, on as far as when the church compromised and all of that i mean the church in germany has been compromised for a long time already right they, they were in weak they weren't <laughs> necessarily they weren't the ones saber rattling, rattling to get into World War One in the first place because they entered yeah. World War One as a part of a defensive pack. But the, but the, even the, the confessing church was weak, really weak. Uh, higher criticism and neo orthodoxy, and um, you know many people don't even know that the the confessing church was pretty on board with most of Hitler's stuff. They just didn't want Hitler to to come into the church and tell the church what to do. So so anyway, um, this is the situation and. It, what they were missing was Christianity. That's the point. The German Volk movement was missing Christianity. That would have, I think, as you just uh, uh, described, Ray, that would have supplanted uh, the German Volk movement, but it wasn't strong enough. And here you have something that um, does care about virtue and um, does have limitations and does seek a higher good and uh, does uh, is ingrained in, in the tradition, a uh, good tradition uh, that we have. So... Uh, that's one of the key differences. There's a whole bunch of them, but um, I know Another, that you go ahead. Oh, one, one thing I'd add is like, uh, I agree with all that, that John, but the, you know, this again is, is a sort of cheap rhetorical strategy that really just shuts down any interesting discussion. So like the reason you invoke Hitler in this case, when you're talking, you just got done talking about Stephen's book that mentions, you know, the Christian prince, which you've already, already described uh, appropriately is that anytime you're talking about, any brand of, of what we might call strong rule, any alternative to a pure democracy as a sort of organization for um, a polity, which we don't have, by the way. But if you start talking about that, that reality, this is already moving towards strong rule and these things, any kind of, um, you know, if you're going to discuss a brand of monarchy whatsoever, it immediately goes to Hitler, right? So you start talking about that, this invariably will lead you to 1943, 1944. That's where you're at already. And it just ignores, you know, the large swaths of history that had, it doesn't mean we have to want a monarchy. I'm just saying there's non-tyrannical monarchs that existed. 
this out of you know poor situations so just because you start talking about those things doesn't mean you're literally hitler but they get to do that every time and it kind of just lands and it's very effective and then you're never able to actually shed any light on um alternative possible futures or um ways of you know altering governance for the better of people and these sorts of things the, the segment ends uh, with them basically saying, uh, don't be too aggressive in your opposition to what's happening at Target or the Dodgers. Right. Uh, you maybe stand across the street if you want to protest it, but don't go into the stadium. Um, make sure that there's no altercations, that they don't get anything on camera that they could use against you. Right. So it's fear from the media. That's how the whole segment ends. And um, that seems to me, I mean, I, we don't, I don't want violence, but th- it seems to me that um, – trying to put it trying to hold back everyone who's legitimately angry at this to say don't uh i think james Lindsay's strategy was expose them just just show what they're doing and people will wake up right that doesn't seem to ever happen because what has happened in the last 30 years i mean all kinds of immorality gets mainstreamed people never wake up it just they just go to the next rung on the ladder uh down into the abyss and so it's not you have to push back at some point and and it may look aggressive it may look masculine um it may look like local governments or wherever there's authority of a magistrate to say you're not selling that here you're not doing that here um and that's where they get scared i think that's where they think oh that's the media's going to use that we're going to all lose and i'm thinking well if you're not going to take a stand on this hill then what hill is worth dying on right yeah um, so if it's not Hitler, I know, Timon, you got to go. So I'm just going to pitch it to you. Uh, there's an article. We won't read it. But Mark Tooley put out an article um, yeah. basically talking about this uh, Protestant Franco and how this is a horrible thing. And this is what I guess the new Christian nationalist right is trying to promote because of a tweet from Josh Abatoy. Um, so, so it's not Hitler. It's Franco. What do you say to that? Is that bad? Yeah. I mean, in this case, people can go read the article. It's, um, again, by Mark Tooley on, on Providence, which he, he runs. Um, totally misses the point of tweets like, you know, Josh's or um, stuff that, you know, maybe Michael Anton, Curtis Yarvin, Charles Haywood, Matt Peterson, some of these guys that will talk about, you know, Caesarism and these sorts of things. Um, These are not, these are not prescriptive discussions. These are descriptive and, and actually are usually charged with quite a bit of lament of where in terms of cycles of regimes historically, and this is this is Aristotle. This is the founders actually. You know, would, would talk about these sorts of things. Uh, read Washington's farewell address, right? Like he ta- he's basically doing a cycles of regime discourse as a warning. And this is very similar in saying that basically, if we don't um, if you don't fix things now, you're going to end up in in such a state of disorder um, and really parity. When you have parity of factions and it's total gridlock in that way, that's actually very bad. Um, because then that that's where a lot of violence can erupt. Um, but you're going to have disorder. You're going to just have dysfunction. And at a certain point that historically speaking invites a strong rule from a Caesar like figure, you know, a dictator, whatever you want to say. Um, no one I've seen talk about this thinks that that's great, that they're like thirsting after it. Um, but it's descriptive and it's talking about what, what a potential possible future is basically to, to back up John's point. If you don't get much more aggressive and assertive now in, in terms of writing the shift within the existing structure and means that you have. Um, so the point of, of, you know, invoking the Protestant Franco and saying, you know, there, there may be a, a time that that is what, what is needed is not saying that that's what's desired. Um, 
and the point, you know, you, you guys can all, everyone can go listen to, um, again, other, other commentators like Haywood talk about this topic in, in a very educated way. Um, some of them are, are more pessimistic than others. Um, but there's lots of people that have kind of engaged in this. I mean, there's even like Leo Strauss articles about him and Vogelin going back and forth over the nature of this idea. So this is not that strange, is my point. And no one that I've seen that serious is actually saying, yeah, like I, I just am a Franco Stan account. You know, this is what I love. It's just it's just you know, picking picking at random, actually, a, a, a you know, non-Nazi fascist dictator um, and saying, hey, you know, that may be that's maybe something that happens. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could easily say a king, you know, I, I want to, king, right. you know, I, I want to be a magistrate who's, uh, you know, like the king of England with power or something. Now, I would advocate for cesarean politics, but I think you can have cesarean politics within the American context. Like, I think Ron DeSantis's governorship in Florida is very cesarean. He just in, in a lot of ways. And I think Trump, a lot of people want Trump to be cesarean but he's just not risen to that occasion you know, hmm. he, he's he's backed down on a lot of fights like he wouldn't defy yeah. the supreme court when they told him he couldn't he couldn't dictate policy in his own administration so right right he, he so wouldn't take those fights like a... he would someone who's willing to cross the rubicon if you know what I'm, and yeah so you're meaning more in like a, a uh in that sense i mean referencing the rubicon is more like poetic and, well, and metaphorical but right but, but you're saying is, like someone who who is assertive um not, and i think some of the caesarism discourse on the other side is like no no we're talking about like when everything is is kind of over like it's that disordered it's that bad like a, well, a general got, says in Rome it got bad because they killed caesar but if like ron currently is like caesarist as you're saying i mean he's doing nothing to violate um you know the the sovereignty of georgia or like the federalist structure generally he's right he's exercising his executive authority um but he went after disney he went after disney and didn't bow the knee to big right no i to get elected i'm just pointing out you're using it in a particular way tell me Tell me without it's telling me. Cesarean within the American context. Right. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So that's what I that's what I would add. Okay, without parsing gotcha. the needle too much on Caesar. Broadly yeah. speaking, the Franco is the analogy. That broadly speaking, yeah. we're talking right. about someone who has more power. That there would be a time mm-hmm. when uh, things are so corrupt and so bad that you need a general to take control and say, you know what, we're going to put things back in order uh, again. And that's not. Uh, I think, as you were saying, uh, Timon, that is not a universally applicable principle for every situation that exists, which I think is one of the things I think you're getting at something here that I notice on the right a lot, which is um, and, and the left, of course, is totally into this, that we need to find these universal principles across time and space and, and that, that apply to every context. And we can plant them in the Middle East and that we'll grow America there. And, and these principles are what uh, essentially uh are right and, and good and you know democracy is often paralleled with this um but the reality is and, and most people throughout time knew that different occasions meant meant different arrangements because uh, it, it, we can see this on a smaller scale in families you know when children are growing up when they're irresponsible they have to have limitations on them uh put on to them by their parents even society treats them different they can't drive a car before 16 
right? There's a tradition that's developed over time. It's it's not, you know, does that mean in Alabama, in the rural parts of the country, they should they should be 16? Well, obviously, there's differences in different parts of the country because situations are different. People are more mature or able to handle those things in different. So so as you can see, like like human. Um, experience is somewhat fluid in that way. I'm not saying gender fluid, just so, so people don't misunderstand me. But um, but situations change, uh, as you said, time and, and and there's this cycle. And uh, man, to, it just seems like you can't even have a serious discussion. Like we're we're gonna are we really gonna die on this hill? Of it's got to be the way that it was in 1959 or or now Obergefell, so 2015. It's got to stay that way, and it can never change. Um, because that's the, is that like the perfect like conception of what a country could be or something like that seems insane to me. But um, anyway, yeah. that that's my critique. Right. I mean, you, you would it, with that sort of attitude, um, you know, you really just recreate the preconditions for your current situation, and so you do need to, in in some sense, be be adaptable. Um, that doesn't mean massive structural overhaul all the time to like adapt. Um, but it does mean that, you know, just like our, our founders were prudent statesmen, fitting um, the structure and laws to the, the people they were charged with governing and to um, the, the needs uh, presented at the time with some ability. I mean, we were already talking about amendments, um, some ill-conceived and some good ones that were added. And there's even mechanisms for it, uh, adaptation to some degree, right? Um, and, these, and then there's also a large... Uh, amount of freedom, especially left to state governors, we already mentioned DeSantis, um, to allow them to be adaptable rulers. I mean, state police powers are very expansive and, and general, like no one can actually even define exactly what it means. The point is just governing for the good of, of your people, the health, safety, welfare stuff, right? Um, that That is specifically uh, reserved in the 10th, you know, amendment to uh, to the states. So it's like there, there are these capabilities in our current structure in our, under our constitutional order um, that would allow you not only to combat where you're going, but to be uh, adaptive um, to the, the needs of the time. And in that sense, you know, that's kind of how Ray was using a, a Caesarist attitude of just strong assertion, um, aggressive kind of, um, especially at the executive level governance. Um, and then there's, I think it's, you know, healthy to have these sort of heuristics or at least discussions that are illuminating for the time um, like like the ancients would and like our founders would about um, alternative possible regime models that may emerge and like how you're supposed to address that and what that would look like. You know, maybe thought experiments and exercising the mind, the brain muscles are, is very, very helpful. Um, it'd be a great practice for James Lindsay to adopt too right. if he wants to engage his interlocutors. The, I mean, uh, as mind, Stephen I, Wolf I read, does do the reading, right? Do my the understanding reading, of Christian reading. Prince is actually very Caesarian. Okay. Because it's about yeah. the All right. Gotcha. Time and you have gotcha. to go, right? I don't want to keep. Yeah, I need to hop off, guys. Uh, okay. Sorry about All that. Right. We're going to land the plane hey. in the next few minutes. Um, but okay. but I'll, I'll say bye now. Uh, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate hey, it. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Ray, yeah. thanks for, nice to meet, for chatting nice to too. chat with you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. God bless. So, um, so it's you and me, Ray, to land the plane uh -huh. here on the episode. Um, I, I think the, the common thread that ties this all together is that the right is caving or uh, they're, they're leaders pivoting are. the lead. Well, yeah, the leaders, well, the, the, the old guard, uh, is starting to try to signal that all the rest of us, the, the Indians need to follow the chiefs 
into accepting some of what the left is doing, but not all of what the left is doing. And so we can uh, keep being outraged at, uh, let's say, drag queen story hour, but we can't we, we can't be too aggressive on about target displays, you know, for that are aimed uh, in children's sections or something like that. Or we uh, we shouldn't really be talking about uh, uh, supporting countries that might criminalize homosexuality or uh, or, or gay marriage being, uh, you know, illegal or something like that. So. Um, that's what I see going on. And as Christians, um, I do have some thoughts. I'd like to hear yours, yours first, but we have to navigate this and figure out a way to uh, be a witness, a public witness in this environment. And wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And it, there's going to be some hard decisions, I think, coming for us. Yeah. And I think you're going to see a lot of it come in the uh, primary cycle coming up. Uh, yeah. I know for a fact there's going to be some old guard types supporting, you know, uh, the lesser candidates. I mean, not Trump or DeSantis, like Pence or uh, Haley. I think you're going to see that. Like, I believe John Hagee was already at Nikki Haley's thing. And then Franklin Graham's already kind of endorsed uh, or supported, not necessarily endorsed because that's exclusive, but supported a Mike Pence run. Mm -hmm. So you're going to see a lot of that. Um, But well, if you can't work right now at a secular job and hold Christian views on sexuality, right? If they were known, you'd be fired. What happens when even in like a conservative political setting, you can't hold those views or you'll be fired? See, that's yeah. that's what's happening. That's what we're approaching is that pressure I mean, that's mounted in the last few years is that, now come to conservative settings. Possibly. I, I definitely see that like that's part of the whole controversy, I guess, with the Babylon Bee. Uh, one of the they fired someone recently or something like that. I didn't but, hear about that. Uh, a, a Trump supporter was allegedly fired uh, on, over Twitter even. So. Yeah, you're definitely seeing that like. You just think about some of the lawsuits because you can't. Uh, for instance, like Sydney Watson and how she sued the Blaze, and what she sued the Blaze over is that they had guests on, you know, even guests that she booked that created a hostile work environment because they were sexist or they had views that were, you know, beyond the pale for her. Right. Like you know, Nick Fuentes type, uh, he was on there, and you know that was listed in the lawsuit that how it created a hostile work environment to do her job interviewing these guests. So it's like, wait, wait, wait. she was in a picture and that created a hostile environment. No, no, they, the, you are here podcast had oh, okay. Nick Fuentes on as a guest, I believe once or twice. And then, Oh, okay. So it was like, and the, okay, if you want to entertain alternative views and then you get sued for it using sexual harassment loss yeah, doctrine. Yeah. So it's, it's very difficult. And, or even look at the Tucker Carlson tapes that they're trying to like, uh, do at Fox News. Basically, they're trying to like mount a Bill O'Reilly case against him, even though he's done nothing remotely close to a Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or yeah. nothing even close to that's be, even been alleged. So if, if you stand for righteousness, people are going to try to they'll make up dirt if they don't even have it. And uh, and they don't need it, though, if all they need to say is ask a question. Do you support uh, you know biblical sexual ethics? I mean, and you, you say, look at yes and you're done. Yeah, look at the trial of Jesus. They they have all these fake charges that they try to trump up against Jesus, and then they just finally ask him, "Are you the Christ?" Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean like that's all we needed. We, we're going to have to really follow closely those examples from history and from the Bible, most notably Jesus, on dealing with situations of opposition, because I think where um, I, I know that there's those on the right, uh, evangelical right, who really want to you know build and and I want to build. Um, and they're usually post-millennial types. And I'm not knocking post-millennialism, but the, the people who happen to be this way tend to be in the post-millennial camps. And they're very um, uh, just motivated. And I love that motivation and, oh, and yeah. optimistic and, and all of this. But the reality is I do think we are, we are heading into persecution. No matter what your eschatological scheme, we are heading into persecution. And um, we're not quite there in some places we, we, we are to some extent, but I think it's going to get a whole lot worse. Uh, and it's going to be a prerequisite for uh, being, you know, maintaining a, um, uh, a place in polite society to adopt and uh, celebrate all these perversions. Um, here's the thing that's the, the wild card for me. And, and this is the, this is an interesting, I think I, I suppose to talk about, we don't have much time, but you mentioned Ray, that there's pushback against Cruz for his tweet. Um, there's also a lot of pushback against target. There's a, the fear seems to be from that Glenn Beck interview that the base is going to do something stupid. They're going to do a January 6th. They're going to uh, go into the Dodger stadium, I guess, and occupy it or something crazy. And they're going to, make us all look bad and the media cameras are going to be there to capture the whole thing. And then Christianity will be eliminated or something like that. And there's a weird, there's a part of this that encourages me a little bit to see that they're concerned about that, that they're concerned that people are too angry about this. Cause if people truly are angry, if if people who weren't engaged before, like this is how the tea party movement even started and which was over different issues. But if they woke up one day and they said, look, my beer (laughs) brand is now marketing a transgender person. Uh, man, I can't even like turn on the television without having junk in front of me. Um, you know, all the things that have happened, I can't go to target and I can't go, go watch a baseball game without being preached at, uh, political preach, political preaching. Uh, they, those some of those people are getting engaged now in the political process. I've seen this even online. Uh, people like even like JP Spears, right? I don't know if you ever watch him, but like you know, yeah. he's like super now on the right. Whereas like a few years ago, I would have thought he was more on the left if he had any political affiliation at all. But but he's seeing all of this and he's realizing something's wrong. And and that's one of the things I don't put my faith in in horses or chariots, but I do wonder whether the Lord could be. And this is my the optimistic side. Um, maybe there is a groundswell of people who are starting to get it and starting to see what's happening to their country. So, you know, what do you make of that, Ray? Do you fall in the more pessimist camp here of, of it's just going to be, not that it's totally pessimistic, but, but persecution's coming, just prepare for it. Um, or, or do you say, say, you know, I don't know, there might be a political backlash here. That is tough because, and I, long-term I can see a, positive outcome long-term like demographically speaking they don't reproduce um they need to import citizens via the southern border and import votes that way that's their long-term strategy i think and they need the public schools to uh equalize and terraform the next generation and you see that right now i saw a poll today like a poll result that said that 70% of Zoomers, Gen Z, 
thinks that the Native Americans were living in peace and harmony before the white people arrived. Are you serious? Wow. And the Republicans were like 47%, which is way too high as well. So they've never heard of the Aztec Empire, I guess. But, the, you know, that's that that's what public schools do. And then that's what they do. And then before public schools, you know, we had higher vocabularies and stuff. So go figure. But that's but you see that um, one generation, the moral majority, what they accomplished at the time was they allowed homeschooling. Uh, they expanded the freedom to homeschool your child. So that that's what they accomplished at the time. A generation later, they it was the Gen Xers that were the ones who overturned Roe v. Wade, I would say. And so we're kind of in the next iteration of that. Whereas like the Christian nationalists, what are we going to accomplish now? And then what are we going to, what are the people that are under our influence going to accomplish a generation from now? So we got to think a little generationally. And when you look at the homeschool numbers and you look at the fertility numbers, I think the Democrats fertility is going to go down. Republicans might not go as up as I'd like, but there's going to be, but they're demographically, you know, in a shallow position. They need public schools really badly. And that's why they want to convert, you know, and groom kids because they know the numbers that if you know someone who's transgender, you start getting wobbly on that issue really quick. And we kind of talked about that in the beginning. And I, you know, I've heard that Ted Cruz's daughter is bisexual. I've heard that. I don't know whether that's media projection on that situation, but that seems to be a very popular conception. Well, whatever, um, we don't need to speculate. Whatever the reason, you know, he's doing this, whether it's family or pressure from the outside, um, it, it's not It's not a good direction that some of our leaders are going in. But I think for us, um, preparation for what's ahead is important. And one of the things we need to do, I think, is build shields build you know local communities where we are as self-sufficient as we possibly can be make sure that we are involved in our local politics so because that's going to be your shield your community against uh, what's coming from the center and um and and make sure that you're that you're known i mean it's uh, i i can't help but remember the scene and it's a wonderful life at the end when george bailey's in trouble but everyone knows george bailey and so they pitch in to help him it's because that he was actually loving his neighbor in his community. People knew him. And I think that's uh, an important aspect of this is, is when people try to accuse you, they can't accuse you because your behavior is um, at least among the people where it matters and counts. And I'm not talking about an internet mob. Uh, your, your reputation is stellar. So with that, um, everyone, if you want to go check out Ray's uh, website, evangelicaldarkweb.org. Thank you for joining me, Ray. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank and, you for um, having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, for uh, everyone else uh, who is uh, still, well, we still have a lot of people live streaming. Uh, I did want to plug really quick uh, the conferences that are coming up. Um, and uh, who knows, maybe, Ray, are you going to be at the men's conference this year or no? The, uh, or the, the Adirondack re- retreat? I you, don't you have plans that far ahead, but I was there last year. Yeah, I don't have You're plans You're such that a far typical, see, are you, what generation are you in? I'm a late millennial. Okay, I was going to, so, I wasn't sure. You know, I eat avocado toast and all that. So <laughs> you eat avocado toast. Interesting. So does um, William Wolf. So I'm in good company on that. <laughs> um, this is the uh, the conference that I want to show you. Uh, this is um, Be Not Conform conference is coming up uh, June 10th. DeForest Evangelical Free Church in DeForest, Wisconsin, and then we have the Overcoming Evil Men's Conference in Speculator, New York, September 21st through 24th. And, uh, and, and that's what Ray is coming to. He just doesn't know it yet. 
So anyway, <laughs> um, God bless everyone. Have a good night.